you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please speak to us this morning. Wherever we are, whatever we are going through, the struggles and the joys, may our hearts be open and receptive to the work of your Holy Spirit to encourage and equip us in all areas to live kingdom first. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you were all here. I want to begin with a thanksgiving. For everybody who prayed for us, we are very grateful. Uh, Friday afternoon, uh, a week ago Friday, uh, during lunchtime, we got the news that uh, he was exactly the wrong direction to be delivered. And Tuesday morning, when we went in with the purpose of having him inverted, uh, they did a sonogram, and he had flipped exactly where he needed to be, head down, right, perfect, and we were ready to have a baby. So thank you for your prayers. Um, it has been actually really good. Um, people keep asking, like, are you really tired? Or, you know, how's Aaron? And, uh, and, and yeah, a little tired, but... He's, like, so far, just a really good baby. Like, he sleeps better than all of the other babies did so far. I'm not holding my breath, but I'm hoping. And, and he's just been really good. And the family is just in love with this little kid, especially, as you might imagine, my 12-year-old daughter. Um, I picked her up Friday from school, and we had to run over to Walmart to pick a few things up before we went home. It wasn't that much. And as we're walking out, she pulls out her phone, and she's looking at it, and she's like, Daddy, we've been gone for 45 minutes. I'm like, honey, we're going home. It's all right. And um, she goes, but that's 45 minutes I've been away from Kelton. <laughs> I said, honey, he's going to be around. You can, you can, like, hold him for She's like, yes, but, but I have brothers. I know what he's going to turn into. And, and, and she is absolutely right. So I watched this video this week about a guy who shows that it's not just little boys that are totally out of control and have no brains. It's also adult boys who are like that. And it was this guy in Germany, and it's during winter, and he is standing on a deck looking at his pool. And you can clearly see that the pool has just a a very thin layer of ice on it, and he's wearing a swimsuit, and somebody's recording him, and he's like trying to pump himself up, because apparently there is something where you jump in and break the ice. And so this guy, I mean, he gets all pumped up, and he's like, and all this stuff, and then he leaps and does a cannonball, and crashes right into that ice, and just bounces across the ice. And, and the camera guy's laughing so hard that it just starts shaking. And this poor guy's like, oh, you know. But that's what boys do. We, like, jump onto ice. But I also feel like that's kind of what we do in life. I would suggest to you this morning one point. It's not so much that we need more intelligence or more knowledge we need more wisdom. 
And that's what I feel like, especially as a boy, we need more wisdom. But I think it's everybody, not just boys. We need more wisdom. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. In fact, open up your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're in the middle of a series called Reality Check. The point of this series is to look very honestly at our faith to question, to explore, to figure out where we really are. We covered verses two through four last Sunday, and they end in this way. Verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you didn't hear the sermon from last week, it is online, and we talked about how valuable trials are to our spiritual maturity. And in this case, the last thing he says, lacking in nothing, but then verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom. Um, There is a conjunction in Greek right there that the ESV doesn't translate, and part of the reason they don't translate it is because scholars vary on what the connection between these two paragraphs is. Here's what I think the connection is. I think that conjunction should be translated as but, and it goes like this. Lacking in nothing. Oh, wait, but if any of you lacks wisdom, here's what I want to point out for this entire sermon. Wisdom is different than the spiritual maturity he was talking about when it comes to trials. In fact, you cannot get the wisdom he is talking about just by going through a trial. It requires something else. And so he gives this major thing on trials and says, but... If any of you lacks wisdom, then there's something else. So let me talk to you for a moment about wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is when we can take our experience and we can apply it to make sound decisions and judgments. Wisdom is an activity. It's not just what we know. It's when we can take what we know and what we have done, what we have gone through, and we can apply it, However, and here's the key, when James talks about wisdom, and when the Bible talks about wisdom, it is more than that. That is good. I mean, if all of us just got better at going, let's see, here's what I know, here's what I've been through, and if I could take all of that and apply it to my present situations, I might make better decisions. But there's something even more when we talk about biblical wisdom, right? Biblical wisdom is when we know, understand, and apply God's ordering of the universe to our present circumstances. And that is different. This, This is why. It can't just be my trials. It can't just be my experience. Because those things are missing something. It has to be God's ordering of the universe. Now, I wanna jump all the way back for a moment to Genesis chapter one, because this is when you first see it. Genesis chapter one opens, and there is water, and there is an unformed, unfilled mass. It is chaos. In the ancient world, water was the symbol of chaos. Then Yahweh comes in, and he orders things. He forms them and he fills them. 
And he says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And what he's saying is everything is being ordered exactly how it should be. Each thing is doing what it's supposed to do. Each thing is related to every other thing as it's supposed to be. There is perfect shalom, perfect order. And God sets it up. When you move to the garden, this is also a story about wisdom. And he takes this one tree and he says, I don't want you to eat of this one tree. What I want you to do instead is trust me. I want to be your wisdom. I want to be what you rely on. They said, don't go here. And if you know the story, which I'm sure everybody does, they go there. They choose a different path. And we will come back to that idea of a different path. And everything just starts to fall apart because what happens? Sin submerges God's ordered world into darkness and chaos and pain. And it mars what God had created. So now, when you go into Romans chapter one, Paul says you can see certain things in creation about God, but it's limited. Now you can see his eternal power and nature, but there's a lot you can't see because the world does not reflect the way that God originally ordered it. Instead, it is filled with sin. If you've ever, I think it was maybe 10 years ago, and I drove through the neighborhood I was raised in. And I hadn't been there, I mean, in probably 20 years. But as I was driving through the neighborhood, I actually drove right by the house I grew up in. I didn't recognize it. Because the people that had moved in, and actually the whole neighborhood, it had kind of fallen apart. It had gone into disarray. When we were in the neighborhood, it was filled with these young families that like, we always did like block parties and everything. And so lawns were all cut and flowers looked beautiful and everything, it looked nothing like that. It had fallen into disarray. I actually drove right by the house. I stopped and backed up. I'm like, oh, that's my house. The world has fallen into disarray. There's a lot of chaos and sin so that we can no longer see only from the world God's wisdom. It has to come from something else, right? Proverbs chapter two says something very similar to what James says here. Proverbs chapter two, verse six. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. For the Lord gives wisdom. This is exactly what James says we are to do. Because our trials, oh, sorry. Because our trials and even our experience cannot give us godly wisdom, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. That's where it's going to come from. So, I was uh, reading some things this weekend, and I came across this, and I'm just going to read it to you. Okay. Talia, the daughter of a great lord, gets a splinter while spinning flax and falls unconscious. A nearby royal happens across her, and, and if there are children in the room, I apologize, um, rapes her in her sleep. Still in a coma, 
Talia gives birth to twins. She awakens and names them the sun and moon. The king's wife then abducts the sun and the moon and orders her to roast them alive and serve them to her father. When the cook refuses, the queen decides to burn Talia at the stake. That is a Victorian fairy tale. That does not sound anything like the fairy tales I tell my children. If those were the fairy tales I had, I would not recognize them as fairy tales. The reason we have to come to God for wisdom is because there is so much darkness and chaos in our world that you simply cannot see the wisdom of God without his help. And so James says, your trials aren't enough. Your experience, it's not enough. It's good. Please don't hear me say it's good. It's just not enough. Where you find you are lacking wisdom, where it is that God's ordering of the universe is not directing you, you gotta ask him. So, how do we do that? I wanna give you two ways to ask God. Number one, we pray. We come and literally ask. God, I need wisdom. I need your wisdom. Apparently, I shouldn't lift my hands up. That's what causes that noise. I need wisdom. And, and we can pray in a lot of different ways for this. You could wake up first thing in the morning, and you could do a generic prayer every morning that just says, God, I need your wisdom for my day. You could pray throughout your day as you get ready to walk into a meeting. God, I need your wisdom. As you get ready to have a conversation with somebody. God, I need your wisdom. Right? But we need to pray and ask. But there's a second way of asking. Even though the world cannot fully reveal the wisdom of God, we do have something that does. God's word reveals God's wisdom, God's ordering of life. And one of the ways of asking is going into his word. And we, a lot of times, you can see the scriptures as, it could be a collection of stories, it could be, here's a set of moral principles, here's this and that, no. This is God's story of life. This is how God has chosen to order the world, the universe. And we could come to that, read it, and see the wisdom of God within it. And honestly, you can go anywhere. Okay, today's readings, if you're following the lectionary, uh, for Sunday mornings, which we didn't do this today on Sunday mornings. (laughs) Wow, we're getting lots of fun sounds would be the story in, first, I mean in Ephesians 6 of the armor of God. That's one of the readings. Now you can read that in all kinds of ways, but let me say what would happen if you just read the first couple of verses and you were thinking, God, I need your wisdom. Here's some things you learn in this about God's ordering of the universe. Number one, our battles are not primarily against people. That is huge wisdom. Imagine if you're approaching life and, and instead of this person that I'm not getting along with is my enemy and I want to go after them, you remember the wisdom of God that says my primary enemy is not flesh and blood. But there are actual spiritual entities that exist that are my enemy. That's God's ordering of the universe. How does that factor into how I live? 
Now, I didn't go pick a passage that would fit well for wisdom. That's just the reading for today because God's word is so filled with wisdom. Another reading is out of Kings, and it's where the prayer about God filling the temple and yet the temple can't contain him because he's bigger than that. There is great wisdom in recognizing that nothing we do can contain God. Nothing I build, my denomination, Anglicanism does not contain God. Like he's bigger than all of it. There is great wisdom in recognizing that. The Bible is filled with the ordering of God for his world and God's wisdom. We can ask by asking, we can ask by reading his word. And I would tell you this, you need both. You absolutely need both. If you are praying without the scripture, your prayer is deficient and it is dangerous because it's missing the truth of God. But if you are reading the scriptures and you are not praying and not having the spirit guide you, you will be insufficient and ineffectual in your reading of scripture. There are lots of people who know the Bible, but it has very little impact on their lives because the spirit is not at work in their lives. We need both. We need to ask and we need to read and we need to be open to the spirit of God. That's how we gain wisdom. So, how does God respond when we come and ask? Whether it's through prayer or whether it's through the word, how does God respond? Look back at the text. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. What a beautiful promise. You ask and he will give. And there are two adverbs in there that describe how he gives, generously and without reproach. I wanna say something about translations. There are a number of modern translations if you're reading the Bible, and basically they're all pretty good. These are intelligent scholars who know Greek and Hebrew, and they're all pretty good. Most of the time when I say, this Greek word means this, I'm not meaning to go, they're dumb, and I know what I'm talking about. All I'm saying is there are some connotations, there are some inferences, there are things about the word that help us understand better. However, every once in a while, there is a translation where I feel like that is just wrong. And this is one of them. The Greek word translated generously, hoplos. That word, the reason they get the translation generously is they are interpreting the word within the context but it is an interpretation. The word doesn't inherently mean that. It means straightforward. It means without duplicity, uh, nothing hidden in it. And I think that's what James was going for because what it can mean is single-minded. And then later on there's a word play. The doubter is double-minded. Uh, and here's what he means. When you ask God for wisdom and he gives it to you, there's no strings attached. God doesn't give it and then expect you to do something particular for him in return. Unlike the pagan gods, he just gives. And when he gives, there's no fine print. There's no contract you have to sign. Just gives. And secondly, he does it without reproach. 
And this is a beautiful thing. Because I'm gonna be honest, I have done so many dumb things in my life. I have ignored God so many times. I have done things I knew I shouldn't do. And yet, I can still go back to God and say, God, I need wisdom. And rather than God going, are you gonna use it this time? He doesn't do that. Without reproach, God gives wisdom. It is a beautiful thing. No matter how many times we may have messed up or ignored him or not gotten it, or maybe you haven't even been asking, he still gives without expecting you to like do something in return or without demeaning you because you asked. That's how God gives. Tuesday, after we found out that the baby had flipped, Aaron was induced and began labor. And about three to four hours into her labor, um, she'd already had maybe eight or nine people come into the room. Um, and, and they're coming with paperwork. Like, you have to sign here, confirm this, you tell us this. And of course, I'm dad, so I don't mean anything. And I'm just off to the corner and I can't answer any of these questions. Well, she is right in the middle of a contraction and a lady walks in and she's got a clipboard and she's got her paper stuff in her pen and she walks up to Aaron and she goes, big smile, how are you? <laughs> and, and I looked at her and I looked at Aaron and I thought to myself, seriously? Like, that's your question? And, and I know what my answer would have been if I had been in Aaron's place. I, know my, I wouldn't even think about it. My answer would have gone something like this. I'm 42 years old and I'm nine months pregnant. I've been stabbed with like four needles so far just this morning and I'm in the middle of like my 50th contraction. On top of that, I'm ramping up for the most excruciating pain in the world as I push a human out of me and I haven't had a glass of wine since Christmas. How do you think I am? But that's me. My wife calmly finished her contraction, smiled without reproach, and said, I'm doing fine, thank you. And I looked at her and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> but that is exactly how God gives wisdom. No reproach, no demeaning, even when we deserve it. And I'll tell you what, she deserved it. There should be no smile on that point. But that's exactly how God gives. So, knowing that, um, here's my reality check. You can tell me if it's yours. My reality check is I still find myself jumping onto this ice-covered pool and slamming into it thinking I know what I'm doing. I still find myself without God's wisdom far too often. So, what do we do about it? What do I do about it? Number one is very simple. I need to start asking. I mean, here's the point of this whole sermon series. Just taking an honest look at our faith. And if I'm being honest, I'm not asking enough. I mean, I'm really not. There are points where I ask, but usually it's because I've already been knocked down and I'm trying to figure out how to get back up. Instead of coming into the conflict in the first place and going, God, I need your wisdom here. 
I'm like going in. I think I got everything under control. And I leap and I smash into the ice. And I'm like, oh, yeah, God, I need your wisdom. I need to start asking. Okay? That's number one. But there's something else. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, on the surface, I'm going to tell you that verse 5 is very encouraging to me. That God gives. Oh, it's awesome. Verses 6 through 8, not so much. Because if I have to ask without doubting, I don't know. I'm not sure I've ever done that in my entire life. Um, again, if I'm being honest. However, we really need to dig into what James is getting at here. Because I'm going to tell you this. The opposite of doubt in this passage is not certainty. Look at his image. This is how he describes doubt. It's like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Um, and, and even better, it's, it's like the hard, rough waters where they're, just, they're out in the sea and they're going this way and then they're going this way and they're not going in a particular direction. They're not heading straight for the shore and going until they reach the shore. They're just out going here, and they're going here, and they're going here. Right. Doubt in this context is not about certainty or uncertainty. It's not about struggling with faith. It's about commitment versus non-commitment. It's about single-minded path versus double-minded it's about the wave that continues a certain direction moving toward the shore versus the wave that goes here and then it goes over here and then it goes back over here. Right? That is doubt in this passage. That's why he can say in a moment, that person is double-minded. They believe this, no, no, they believe this. They go this way, no, no, they go this way. There's not a single-minded commitment to a direction. Let's go back to the garden for a moment. I want to give you an example of what would be a response of faith versus a response of doubt, right? So they're in the garden. The serpent approaches them and begins to ask questions that undermine the motivations of God Almighty. But they're decent questions. So as they're listening to the questions, they begin to go, well, why did God put that tree there? Is God really good? Like, what if I did take that fruit? And a response of faith says this. I am not 100% certain. I am struggling with this, but there's one thing I am certain of. I am committed to the way of God, even when I don't understand it. That's a response of faith. Now, here's the other side. Serpent comes, begins to talk to them. Those are some good questions. And they begin to go, well, why did God put this tree in here? What were his motivations? Is God really good? Except this time they go, I'm not sure, just like last time, and I am not committed to his path. Instead, I'm gonna try this other path. Because you know what? The serpent makes some good points. My wisdom tells me I'm gonna try this out. 
the difference between single-mindedness and double-mindedness, the difference between faith and doubt. Right? And this is really, really important for verse 7. Look at verse 7. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Again, here's what this sounds like on the surface. If I have any doubt, then God is just going to, there's no way I'm giving you anything. You're not going to receive anything from me. But that would absolutely contradict what he said in verse 5. And it would miss the point that the reason they're not receiving is because they're double-minded and unstable. Right? That word to receive, if you go into John chapter 3, where the, the, John is talking about the fact that Jesus has revealed himself, he has actually done it. He has revealed himself. However, the people are not receiving him. It's not because Jesus is withholding. It's because they are not receiving. The same thing's happening here. It's not because God is withholding his wisdom. He gives that single-mindedly. He gives it without reproach. It's because they are double-minded and they're not receiving it. And I would argue that because the wisdom of God at times is so different from the wisdom of man, that if you are not singularly devoted to God, we are likely to read his wisdom and then go our own way. Right? If you think I'm making this up, imagine this for a moment. Um, imagine teaching a kid how to ride a bike. Can I tell you what they do with their eyes? They look at the wheel. They look at the ground. Because that, like, that seems to be, oh, what's happening to the bike? And yet... Your best balance is when you're looking forward. When the bike starts to tip, you know what they do? They tighten and then they just fall over because they're trying to protect themselves. That's the reaction. And do you know what it's like to tell a kid, that's not what I want you to do, I want you to look forward. Like, no way, I can't do that, I gotta see what I'm doing, I gotta watch the bike. No, you need to look forward. It doesn't seem to make sense. And you know what, when the bike starts to tip, don't tighten up. I want you to loosen and feel that balance. But that takes like real trust. Like you gotta be committed to do that because it doesn't make sense. Okay, I want you to think about some of the wisdom that Jesus gives us. I want you to store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. You tell me that, doesn't, that, that makes any sense. I mean, like I've got a family to feed, I got a home, I've got like good stuff I wanna buy from the store. I mean, I got stuff. I can see treasure on earth. I can't see treasure in heaven. Like it doesn't make sense intuitively. If I am not singularly devoted to God, I am likely to go ahead and go, that's a great idea, but I'm gonna come over here and get my treasure. And just think, do not be anxious about your life. Seriously? I mean, what? There is so much wisdom in the scriptures that is counterintuitive. And the only way that we're gonna receive it is if we're singularly devoted to him. It's not gonna be because we rationalize our way into it. Oh yeah, that's better because of all of these things. It's gonna be because we trust him. Let me give you a picture of what that kind of singular devotion looks like. You all knew that I was gonna tell lots of stories about my kid, right, because he was just born. This was by far Aaron's hardest labor. I mean, by far. 
Um, I have nothing but respect for my wife because she delivered three children without any epidurals, without any pain management at all. And I have amazing respect for her. Well, this one, we were close to eight hours into labor. And she had gone from like four to five. And, and she's going, I, I can't do this. You know, and I'm looking at her and I'm going, look, seven hours and 55 minutes ago, I would have gotten an epidural. I get it. <laughs> you want one? Let's give you one. I'm all for it. And Dr. Littrell comes in. Now, she has delivered all of our kids, and we have amazing trust in this lady. She comes in, she checks Aaron, and she goes, I think you're going to have this baby within the hour. Now, no blood tests, no, like, MRIs, no, I mean, there's nothing to prove that. And she's even saying, this is what I think is going to happen. And so Aaron goes, Let's do it. She was singularly devoted to this doctor. Even though there was no proof that it was going to happen, even though she knew she was risking pain. And can I just tell you something? If you follow the wisdom of God and his ordering of life, you will risk pain. Please don't think because you store up treasure in heaven and not on earth that everything's going to be great. You will risk pain, you will risk safety. And here's the other thing. She had to go through a whole other hour of pain before it actually came true. Just because she decided to follow that way didn't mean, okay, things are perfect now. She had to go through a whole other hour of pain before that baby was delivered. Now, Dr. Littrell was right. Although afterwards, she did say, I'm glad I was right. <laughs> but that is how the wisdom of God works. It is something that requires we step into it and we do it. It's not something that intuitively is always gonna make sense, and it's not just gonna make everything perfect in the world. And in fact, it's gonna make you unsafe at times. Not long-term, but in the present. It's gonna be challenging. But it is the ordering of the universe of our creator. And there is nothing better for our lives than to follow the one who created us. And so where we lack wisdom, James says, ask. Because God gives that wisdom. He's not, you know, trying to trick you. He's not gonna, well, if you do this, if I do this, you're gonna have to do this for me. No, none of that. He says, here it is. He's not gonna reprimand you. He's not gonna demean you. But for us to receive it, we gotta come at it singularly focused. Saying, God, whatever you say, that's what I'm doing. Even when I have doubts, even when I struggle, even when I'm uncertain, I'm gonna follow through because that's the only way to receive the wisdom of God. I need to end. I guess I will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your wisdom. Lord, may we be people who begin to ask more regularly, recognizing that it's not something we can just gain through our experience or even our trials. We get some there, but we need it from you. We need it from your word. Lord, and then give us that singular focus, that faith that James talks about, 
so that we can receive the things you say to us and live them out. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.